one, LF, A, the initiate, the candidate, Lee Bachelor, the magician. Hello everyone and welcome to Tarot Esoterica episode 9. My name is Laurel and I'm branded online as the Loracular. This podcast series is just me talking about basic occult symbolism and metaphysical philosophy with tarot cards in mind. Today's episode delves us into the first chapter of Doctrine and Rituals of High Magic by Elephas Levi and tarot-wise, the magician of the major arcana. One of the things that Levi mentions in this chapter is that the Hebrew alphabet has its origins in the Egyptian hieroglyphs. Modern scholarship agrees with him, but there's a long and winding road between the two. Early linear script, which still gets called the Phoenician alphabet in Western occultism, is the Hebrew alphabet's ancestor, and it too had 22 letters, all consonants. You will read all over the place that Aleph means ox. This is a little misleading, but all I'm going to say is that the Hebrew letter Aleph, found on the Worth tarot card and described by Levi in Doctrine and Rituals, has origins as an early alphabetic system and a hieroglyph shaped like a bovine head. The early linear script Aleph looks much more like the original hieroglyph than any variant of the biblical or modern Hebrew letter Aleph. Aleph has a lot of mystical and spiritual significance in all flavors of the Kabbalah. When Levi wrote that each Hebrew letter reproduces a number, an idea, and a form, he wasn't thinking about an ox in regards to Aleph. He was thinking about Aleph as symbolizing the closest thing in manifested reality to the mana, the philosopher's stone the great work, the unified yin-yang. He presents the magician in the major arcana with the following words. The adept is depicted wearing a large hat, which if he lowers it, could hide his entire head. He holds up one hand towards the sky, which he seems to be commanding with his wand, and the other hand is on his chest. He has before him the principal symbols or instruments of science, and he hides others in an illusionist satchel. His body and his arms form the letter Aleph, the first of the alphabet, which the Hebrews borrowed from the Egyptians. Now, not even in the Worth deck does the magician in the magician's card touch his own chest, as Levi suggests the figure should, which is truly a pity. As Levi describes the image in his imagination, the maxim, as above, so below, as within, so without, is clearly on his mind. Later, however, Levi writes, the first letter of the holy alphabet, Aleph, represents a man who is raising his hand towards the sky and is lowering the other towards the earth. That's where uh, cultists pick up the image that we see in wait. I mentioned last week that it is a personal truth of mine that magic is a psychological process. I use the term psychoterica to refer about the philosophical realm where occultism and modern psychology cleave together, and via psychoterica is how I personally approach esoteric tarot. The Magician card is my very favorite archetype in tarot. The way it so often depicts a figure intentionally calling upon a higher power, intentionally channeling it through a rod or wand into themselves, and then intentionally doing something with that energy and getting the intended result, that's very significant to me. In the original 1889 Worth Major Arcana, which is now in the British Museum, Based on Levi's notes, the magician is holding the rod with a black knob up top 
and a red knob on the bottom with his left hand while using his right hand to touch a circular sigil, charging it with energy. The magician is looking at something towards the east, not skyward, or at the table. The table has a sword, a chalice, the sigil that is being charged, and two other sigils. There's a red rose growing directly behind the magician. Previously in the tarot tradition, the magician was the archetype of the Montebac, the charlatan, the kind of person I disparagingly call a grifter guru. This is the clipothic, or dark side of the magician archetype, someone who is basically a selfish, greedy con artist out to make a quick buck and exploit desperate people for personal gain. But that wasn't who Elvis Levi was and that isn't his idea of the magician. Levi spends a lot of time in chapter one defining the difference between a magician and a charlatan. To him, the magician uses the art and science of magic specifically to become a better, more moral, ethical, virtuous person. One who is a slave to their passions or to the prejudices of this world will not know how to become an initiate. They will never be able to do so as long as they do not reform themselves, wrote Levi in this chapter. He went on to say that in the language of his era, anyone who is going to be dogmatic and suffer from confirmation bias and is all the isms of a selfish person and just resist personal development into their better selves, might as well just stop reading his book there, that nothing in his books was going to make sense or be helpful to them. Levi states that there are four things a person must innately possess before they are ready to become initiated and ready to truly start the process of self-transformation. One needs to love knowledge and information. Successful magicians thrive on self-education and scholarship. Two, a person needs to be audacious. They need to have passion and perseverance that is going to overcome obstacles and allow them not to give up, break down, or become their own worst enemy. Three, true will. A sincere desire that can be focused through ritual into a literal energy or force. Four, respect and discretion. The ability to understand instinctively when to speak how to speak, and when to just sit back and be silent. Levi turns these four principles into the maxim to know, to dare, to will, to be silent, and then says that these are the four verbs of the mage, which are written in the four symbolic forms of the sphinx. These four verbs can be combined together in four ways, he says, and can be explained four times through the others. In essence, Levi is talking about magicians being able to manipulate what Jung later named the functions of consciousness, and through applied knowledge, courage, true will, and discretion, a person can become an adept. He is saying that an adept is a person who creates their own happiness, security, and wellness. The magician, as an archetype, as a card, has the power of a person being self-empowered by taming their inner demons. Levi doesn't use the words inner demons, but he talks a lot about them in this chapter. He talks a lot about harnessing and taming our passions, and uses metaphor to talk about the cherubic beasts and the four elements. He warns that plunging into the world of the initiate is dangerous, 
because inner demons are inner demons. And if we plunge into that inner world of imagination and passion and archetypes and symbols and start pulling out of all of it to create magic, either we master those demons, master our fears and vices, or that part of ourselves which can be mythemed as the shadow or as the adversary, well, very bad things happen to those who fail to control that aspect of themselves. Levi is not a pessimist, however. He wrote Doctrine of High Magic, convinced that there would be people who would be able to read it and put it to good practical use in becoming adepts, in using imagination, true will, intelligence, and compassion to create the best of inner worlds, which in turn would provide the outer world with all kinds of sensible, ethical leadership he felt it desperately needed. Levi talks about the magician archetype and the letter Aleph a couple of times beyond the first chapter. In chapter 11 of Doctrines, he writes, The word divanus in Latin signifies more and something other than divus, and its meaning is equivalent to man-god. It corresponds in its form to the Hebrew letter Aleph which expresses Kabbalistically and hieroglyphically the great archon whose symbol in the tarot is the figure of the magician. Later on in chapter 17, in the context of astrology, he brings up a book written by an obscure French occult philosopher named Moreau de Danmartin. The book is called Hieroglyphical Characters of All Nations, and I have never personally seen a copy of it, but Levi really liked it, and talks about how the Hebrew Aleph and the Alpha of the Greeks expressed hieroglyphically through the figure of the magus were borrowed from the constellation of the crane, neighbor to the astral fish of the oriental sphere. This would be Garus constellation. Garus means crane in Latin, and in Hellenistic mythology, the crane was sacred to Hermes. Levi describes magic as both an art and a science. Next week, we tackle Levi's definition of what a science is as part of Chapter 2, Beth, Hokma, Domus, Gnosis, which he links to La Papess, the High Priestess. If you really like tarot esoterica so far, please let me know and spread that praise on your social media platforms. I don't accept tarot clients at this time, and everything I write is free to read and even borrow, as long as you attribute me as the original author. You can also catch me on Twitter, at TLoracular, but be warned, on Twitter I get opinionated, goofy, and unapologetically political. Until next time, aspire to be a sage and know the great mystery of nature. May the world do good unto you and may you do good unto the world. <music>